to the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow podcast. I'm Sandra M., coming to you from Santa Fe, New Mexico, the land of enchantment. I interview people from all parts of the world about what happiness means to them. What are they in love with? In each episode, we'll give you a key to happiness to include in your life, and of course, we'll play a happy tune from my live Celebrate Happiness Roadshow. A smile doesn't cost you anything. Today we're talking with Nakama Minkowitz from Santa Fe, New Mexico. A born advocate, Nakama left 23 years in education to fill a much-needed gap in society and to pursue a legal career. After 1.5 years litigating as a public defender, she was appointed by New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham to the bench where she continued helping the disadvantaged by addressing symptoms instead of action. Nakama is also the mother of five adult children and many grandchildren. And in her free time, she enjoys reading, writing, hiking, and listening to wisdom shared by the elderly and children alike. Welcome, Nakama. I'm excited to talk with you about happiness and your happiness story. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sandra. Oh, you're so welcome. I I just know that you have so much to tell us. And so I always start with each podcast asking this question, what is happiness to you? What is your happiness story? Happiness to me is a feeling of experiencing a life that has a lot of satisfaction and purpose. I, my happiness story is I grew up in New York with a, um, from a family of 13 children, 10 girls and three boys. And whoa, that's a lot of children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. And we were brought up to be individuals within a very specified rule of ethics and rule of law and there was not a lot of room to really conform and it was to become who you truly wanted to be and my journey really towards happiness was challenging my belief system I went through every one of my belief systems and I thought is this something I truly own and if it did I really made it important to incorporate that in my life. And if it didn't, I just rejected it. And with those layers, letting go of the beliefs that, of, that I truly didn't believe and they weren't my own, I came closer to my true self and came tr- closer to see what was very important to me, what I valued, and living a life more in line with that instead of a life that was given to me about how it should be done. Wow, that's really fantastic. So what did you come up with as being your main 
value around being your true self because from reading this introduction that I put together here, uh, helping other people, this whole concept of the disadvantaged, does that give you a lot of happiness? It, it seems to me it would, but... Yes, absolutely. A lot of people lost their voice. They've become extremely despondent. People suffer from mental illness and poverty and trauma and addiction. And our society tends to just look at the symptom, look at their actions, look at they don't they don't really want to deal with what's going on beyond that and what's going on mm-hmm. behind that. Because if we really address what's going on beneath everything, then you, then the action or the negative action immediately disappears. And so, yes, I find a lot of satisfaction helping the disadvantaged, being a voice for them, and really helping them get what their desired results are instead of just sitting back and being passive and accepting what a very broken system is offering them. Wow. You know, I I think you've also been doing this, as I read here, you had 23 years in education. Were you also, what does that mean? Were you a teacher or did you? Well, I started off as a high school teacher and I quickly navigated myself through the education system, realizing the holes and the problems in that system. And so mm-hmm. I traveled around the country to learn different interdisciplinary disciplines of how different types of learners can learn and how to truly teach people how to have intellectual curiosity and own what they, what they know, who they are. And I then started my own school. I started, I funded it through federal and state grants. It was in Florida Mm -hmm. and anybody can come to my school for free because I was funded through the grants. I was able to pay lots of teachers and different type of, give these children different types of opportunities, music and art and dance. And we took them on really exciting trips. And my goal was that they should be, be curious learners. And I believe I succeeded there were many children in my school that later on told me when they moved on to high school, they were forced to put on Ritalin. But in that environment, with the teachers that I hired, they were able to really learn as they were, which was a truly gift, truly a gift for them. So is it was sort of like a Montessori school where there's a lot more freedom and they were able to, say, cook their own lunch. They started in the morning. They started cooking their own lunch and then went through classes, et cetera. Was it less structured than a regular public school? So that's a great question. Montessori follows a very rigid pattern that they believe will produce the best Mm -hmm. learners. However, I believe I have a very strong academic background, and I do believe in strong academics. So my school was had a very strong academics, but that was coupled with opportunity. Yes, we did cooking, we did baking, we had science fairs and history fairs and poetry fairs and dance, and we had everything oh. else incorporated. But mm-hmm. within the academics, it was truly embracing the child for where, where they were. It wasn't a massive school so that you could truly 
give the child what they specifically needed. So I would say it it wasn't the the extracurricular did not. The, I'm sorry, the academics was not sacrificed for the extracurricular. It had very strong academics. It just was given over and taught in a different way. Join Sandra M. for her live performance of the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow, a toast to love and happiness in life, an uninhibited musical adventure guaranteed to awaken your happiness vibe. Celebrate with upbeat rhythms, love songs, and fun stories, some told by you in the audience. Sandra's musical guest and accompanist, Todd Lowry, sings his hopeful and happy originals. To book Sandra M. and the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow, email sandra at sandramcknight.com. Celebrate happiness with Sandra M. Well, I mean, I'm talking with someone who's very accomplished, and you don't sound like you're very old to me, so I do all this. I mean, you know, this whole concept of sitting down as a young person and really going through all the beliefs that you were taught as you were raised and saying, this one I'm keeping, that one I'm throwing away, et cetera, et cetera, so that you would really distill your true purpose and what really satisfies you. That's a really rigorous process. But it seems to have served you very well because you just went on to create this school and then to go into law and then five children. Uh, let me ask you, what do you think about children? Are children born happy for the most part? Now, I do realize that you know there are people who are born maybe with certain illnesses and difficult situations and birth, et cetera. But most of us, when we come out of the womb, do you think we're mostly open and innocent and full of life? Yes, definitely. And I would actually go a little further. I would say that even children that are suffering when they're born physically, you go look at the, like, the NICU in the hospital, they're feisty. They fight and they have like a passion and a zest for life. They're not despondent or they don't look like they're being tortured. They're just unfortunately going through challenges. But I do believe that children are born wholesome and happy and happy with little things. They don't, there's nothing like making a child a baby smile or just the comfort of your, your arms. And I, I, def, I do think that, unfortunately, as the children grow and they become more adaptive to society or they pick up what's going on in the home, whether it's positive or negative, even subtle nuances, I think that that affects them and that changes mm-hmm. how they see the world. Exactly. So how do we maintain that? I know the per- what affects them in the home and in the schools, and now we have the social media. Everything seems to affect children on a very profound level, even them not being aware of it. So what happens when you decide you want to be happy? I'm assuming you feel that happiness is a choice for people, that they can choose to be happy? Or am I wrong there? 
Yes, yeah. I, I, I do believe that people can choose to be happy. For some people, that's easier than others. Some people just have a more pessimistic attitude and disposition, and they have to, they have to overcome a little bit more than someone that would be born with a more congenial disposition. However, I do believe that it is our birthright. Like, it's how we are. If we want to be fulfilled people, we have to go back to where we, we came from, and that was from a place of true bliss. Right, of true joy. And with everything that's going on in the world today, I've interviewed some young people, and many of them feel that the problems are overwhelming and they're trying to do their best. You know, they talk about climate change, the economy, uh, all the social media influencing the world in such a negative way, institutions breaking down. And here they are, 20 or 22, 23. Are some of your children those ages? Yes. My youngest child is 21, and my second youngest child is 23. And so how are they handling everything that's going on? How are they maintaining any joy and happiness in their life? Well, my children are very, I would say, they're very focused. My 23-year-old is a labor and delivery nurse. She's married. She has a child. She's very focused mm-hmm. on creating her own little nirvana. And I would say the same to my 21-year-old son. He's He works. He, he has a business degree. And he's focused on being able to provide for a family in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think that despite what's going on externally, when we focus on what we could control, and that's a lot, that's our attitudes, that's our disposition, that's how we relate to others, that's how we choose to go through our day, what kind of mood, what kind of energy we put forth in the world. And again, without closing a blind eye to what's going on globally, we can do our own little bit to put, to, contribute to, you know, a better world, less carbon footprint, but we still have 100% control of what we could control. We can, we can control a lot. And I would say just start with that. We invite you and yours this October 2023 for an intimate 14-day happiness journey to Bhutan, the lost kingdom of happiness. Experience the magnificent beauty, magic, and mystery of this ancient culture that calculates the gross national happiness of its people. Happiness, Bhutan style, is an adventure of a lifetime. For our itinerary, go to BhutanLostKingdomTours.com and click on Special Packages. Celebrate happiness with Sandra M. Absolutely. I, you know, when you just said that you're one girl who has her, she has a child, you said, is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. And she's focused on creating her own nirvana. You used the word nirvana. And I'm thinking, okay, focused on creating her own happiness and the happiness for her family. I really believe that happier people make happier decisions. And so if you live in that mindset, like I offer people 
my keys to happiness, basically, which is on my website. And it's basically daily, weekly, and monthly things that one can do to just maintain their happiness. I, I won't go through all of those, but you can find them on the website. I'm sure you've looked at them. But that's what I do. I really think that actually the earth is a beautiful place, stunningly beautiful, and we are really living in a kind of heaven right here. I mean, this is what the world is really a beautiful place, and we have to maintain it. And that's people go to nature. Why do they go to nature? So they can feel relaxed, so that they can sort of be connected with what? Nature. What do you think that does for people, being connected with nature? Being... I think it brings them back to the, their source. I think when we're out there in the world of consumerism, we can get very lost. Or if we, even if it's not purchasing stuff, it could be status. It could be education. It could be any type of competition. But when we get that into nature, we're all the same. And we are all recipients of the beautiful planet that we live on. And it brings us back to our source. It brings us back to who we truly are in the quiet, in the peace, in the breath. And, you know, we walk, most of us walk out of an experience with nature feeling extremely rejuvenated. Right. And the Dalai Lama, I follow the Dalai Lama. You know, he's now on Facebook. He's 87 years old, and there he is. He's on Facebook giving out words of wisdom, etc. And he talks about the fact that people really, all human beings are basically the same. I mean, we eat, we drink, you know, we have our life, and we basically want to be happy and peaceful. You know, people don't want to fight. They're sort of made to think they have to fight and all that kind of thing. And so... I just wanted to bring this up because I know that he is very connected with something called the Mind and Life Institute, which I believe is in North Carolina, and they are always talking to him over the last 10 years, actually, on how to bring some of the Buddhist ideas into a more generic educational format. So what he has suggested, and they are trying this out in samples in various schools, is to teach empathy and compassion outside of any religious doctrine, just teaching young children, seven and eight years old, empathy and compassion, what does it mean, etc., and how does that work, and all that. And then they had a test um, where these psychologists who are with the Mind Life Institute basically had two samples of seven or eight-year-olds, and one sample was taught the course in compassion and empathy. The other was not. And both of them were taken to a cancer hospital for children. And they were told that they were going to go on a field trip. And afterwards, you could have, um, they're going to get some kind of a present when they come back, etc. Okay, so that both groups went. And the group that had the training in compassion and empathy established real relationships and connections with the, other, with the children of the uh, hospital. They wanted to write to them. They wanted to go back. They were not that interested in getting the present when they came back. The other group said it was a wonderful trip. They were glad to have had the opportunity. They wanted their present, and they didn't want to go back. So as an educator, 
I'm wondering what you think. That's very interesting. As I said before, I do believe that all children are born with empathy and compassion. I think it's a natural tendency of an inner being is to want to care about another person. And unfortunately, through experience and through being exposed to different types of environments in their homes and in their school, some people become more sheltered, some people go within, some people become more extroverted. And I do really like this exercise because I think that when we are trained in a certain way and we're educated, it reinforces what's going on within ourselves. So by them Mm -hmm. being trained and, and or having these classes on empathy and compassion, it was really reinforcing something that was very natural to them. And I think that's why they so they were so successful because it wasn't something that was being taught that was not natural to them. It was very, it's inherent in their being of who they are. Exactly. I agree with you totally. And Dalai Lama is saying if this becomes part of the curriculum worldwide, it could change everything because once a child learns how important this is and how the connection and the beauty of that is, uh, having compassion for yourself, for other people, and for your community, it changes the world. It changes the way you perceive the world. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I'm in absolute support of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I have one final question for you before we end, and I always love to ask this question. And I do when I do a, a presentation, I always tell people what I'm in love with. I talk about how important love is, and you can be in love with a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be a person. You know, it can be your work. It can be animals. It, it's basically what you have a passion for in life. Because I believe that sort of becomes your source of happiness. So, what are you in love with, Nakama? I am in love with life. I am so grateful and satisfied and really I feel tremendous amount of gratitude every day to have had the privilege to experience two phenomenal careers. I'm still a practicing attorney and I absolutely love to help people. And I think it's a great avenue to be able to help people. I'm in love with children and elderly people. I feel like they have a lot of wisdom within themselves. And I cherish the time that I can spend with both ends of the spectrum. I'm in love with using my talents and being in nature and really having the ability to go within and to constantly question my reality and my points of growth. I think we could just end there. I love that concept, my reality and my points of growth. Because most people don't realize that we're growing all the time, that we're changing all the time, and that there are some constants, and I believe those are your own self-worth, your own happiness in life, and and love. I mean, love is the, to me, is the, essence of everything. I mean, just loving every moment of your life as much as possible. And even in the darkest times, there's always what? A light. There's always a lesson to be learned. Right? Yes. 
I agree. I think we're very fortunate to be on the planet, and what we do with that experience is really up to us. I, you know, I don't know what else to say. I just think you've <laughs> encapsulized everything so beautifully, but I want to give you a chance before we close to say anything else that just comes to your mind about joy, about happiness, anything you'd like to tell our audience, who I'm sure is going to be listening. Yes, I want to thank, say thank you, Sandra. You were just such a gift when I moved to Santa Fe to have met you, and I think you exude everything that you speak. And I would encourage anybody to go on the, everybody to go on the website and really look at all the opportunities to to connect with this concept and connect with this reality because it's 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 a life changing perspective. Keys to happiness number six, give lots of compliments. Practice acts of kindness. Giving a sincere and respectful compliment is a quick way to brighten someone's day and to boost your own happiness. Catch the person's eye and say it with a smile so that they know you mean it. You might be surprised by how good it makes you feel. so much and I want to thank you everybody in the audience for tuning in to celebrate happiness with us and again thank you Nakama and Minkowitz for being our guest and for sharing your happiness story my and pleasure to share thank your you happy, you're welcome you're welcome and to share your happiness story on the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow podcast all you have to do is send me an email at Turn your smile on, you can't go wrong.